between my, my sophomore year in high school and uh, junior year, uh, we moved. Uh, we moved from uh, Columbia, Missouri to, to St. Louis, and I went from a small private school to a big public school. And one of the first things I did that, f- that fall, this is fall of 91, um, we, I, I tried out for the basketball team. And uh, so I wanted to, 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 to meet people. And I was decent at the sport, but not great. I was a decent shot, but not a great one. Uh, had decent speed, but not great. And I was kind of short for, um, for in terms of basketball height. Uh, but I was very competitive, and I, was, I would, I would out-hustle guys. And uh, most of the team was black, so I, my style of play was affectionately uh, called the honky hustle. And so, like... Um, <laughs> That was me, and so my nickname, though, was Vanilla Ice, uh, not because I sliced like a ninja, cut like a razor blade, but because I had my, the sides of my head were just nearly shaved, and I had, the, you know, like five pounds of gel in this quaff um, going on, and, uh, but in the end, uh, I didn't make the team. I got cut from the team. Uh, the coach didn't think I was good enough, and, and, and honestly, that was okay to me, except I was in that period of time, you know, where you're trying to fit in, where you're trying to find what group uh, you uh, belong to, and uh, trying to figure out what's known as your uh, identity, and it, we could all tell stories of high school, we can all come up here to the mic and, and talk about how we were trying to fit in, but that would take too long, and then we'd all need counseling afterwards anyway, so we'll just skip that part. But anyway, but we, you know, it's in that time period where you're uh, trying to figure out where you fit out. You know, am I an athlete or am I a brain? Do I connect with the, the you know, the popular party crowd or kind of the burnout popular, cr- you know, party crowd? And, you know, which group am I in and which group am I not in? And then, then there were these groups that formed that were like the anti-groups. And in my generation, those were the golf kids. And so, like, the go- if you don't know, they dressed up in all black and, you know, you know, black hair, black nails, black lipstick, guys and girls, piercing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's like, you know, it's like they got dressed up for Halloween one year and then they just never changed. And so now what's interesting about this group, there's about 45 or so goth kids um, forming a group uh, to basically demonstrate that they didn't want to be a part of a group. And it's kind of like the hipsters today, you know, like the hipsters, you know, they're the, they're the anti-group. We're, we're, we we want to be different. We don't want to be associated with a group, even though at the end of the day, you're, you know, you're just like, you know, everyone else, what everyone else is doing. And so it just kind of goes to show you really, though, just how deep it goes, how deep it runs in us. And even those who kind of say, hey, I don't want to be a part of a group, at the end of the day, still feel this deep need to be a part of a group, to, to, to kind of figure out where do I belong, where is... Um, my uh, identity, and it didn't end in high school. It's not as complicated now, but it didn't end in high school. And so today, you know, we still, like, we, everything that we do, everything that we're uh, kind of clawing and scratching to do, it, whether, you know, it, behind, what, behind our jobs, beside, behind the pursuit of even our parenting, um, we, we get defined by uh, what... Uh, we want our identity to be, and so that could be the neighborhood we live in, what school we went to or go to, what kind of degree we got, how much money we make, what neighborhood we live in, uh, where our kids go to school and how they perform academically or athletically. You know, it's our hobbies, it's our jobs, it's how we appear physically, it's how we appear socially. These are all huge factors in how we make decisions day after day after day. And, um, you know, it's as exhausting as it is 
as it was then as it is now. So when we think about high school, oh, thank God that's over. But at the end of the day, it's still there. We still, our behavior, uh, a lot of the times, is trying to keep up with this image. In high school, you know, I made decisions uh, to do certain things, not because I wanted to do them, because I wanted to be a part. I wanted to project, this is, this is who I am, and, and to not... And to not fit that mold, not to fit that, hey, this is who I am, this is what I'm go- going to do, was, was um, something I wanted to get away from. So I, I did certain behaviors uh, that at the end of the day just exhausted me. And we do the same things today. today. We spend money to maintain an identity. Uh, we, we work a certain way to maintain an identity. Most fitness, when you think about most fitness, it has nothing really to do to physical health. It has everything to do with an identity, with vanity. And so you, especially this time of year, we've got pool season coming up. I mean, that's why guys will just do bench press and curls and ignore the, the squat rack because, you know, it's not because I want to get into shape. It's because I want to be perceived a certain way. I want people to think of me a certain way, even be envious of me because of the way uh, that I look, and uh, and that goes for so that goes for looks. It goes for the car you drive, again the house uh, that you live in, whatever. So maybe it's not so much whether or not I'm a jock or I'm in the artsy crowd, whether I'm a uh, in the fun crowd or the brain crowd. Uh, it still lives today. That still kind of pursuit. Who am I? You know, where do I fit in? Um, uh, it still lives today. And, you know, it's not even just a white-collar thing. It's not just about cu- accumulating possessions. I mean, this is a blue-collar thing as well. I mean, there is this group that's kind of like, hey, I'm no BMW champagne-drinking sissy. You know, I'm not that guy. I'm, you know, I'm a Miller Genuine draft mac and cheese kind of guy. And, and so you, you, we even take identity in being that guy. I mean, even like a couple years ago, there's those, commer- those Miller Genuine draft commercials. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the guy would go into, you know, the yuppie restaurant and take out all the Miller Genuine draft because they were charging 12 bucks for a burger. And so it was kind of like, this, that's my identity. So I'm not, uh, it's this anarchy um, kind of, of this, got to keep up with the Joneses mentality. It's an anarchy of that. But at the end of the day, it's still a group. It's still this identity. It's still what drives uh, what we um, all do. And I'm bringing this all up uh, because this is a massively consistent theme of what Paul writes, especially here in Colossians. He is in this book of Colossians, one of the bigger themes, and he kind of touches on it today, and I want to take a little bit of time to kind of bring this out to make sure that we don't miss this going through this series, is that Paul is pounding on us quite helpfully uh, that our identity is found in nowhere else except in Christ. It's not, it's not what we wear. It's not where we live. It's nothing external. It's something internal, and that is Christ in us. This is who we are. We are in Christ. It's completely made up of him. In fact, uh, this phrase, in Christ, is used 91 times in the New Testament. In the phrase, like, in him or in whom, or if you kind of combine those, it's like well over 200 times this phrase is used in the New Testament alone. And even in this book, We've read so far in Colossians uh, 1, 2 simply says that we are in Christ. Just the reality, and we talked about, you know, that first, very first week about how we are in Christ, and we're also in Colossae, or we are in St. Louis, that we are in Christ, but we've also been given uh, a job to do. At 114, it says, in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. This is, this is where our identity is. In him, verse uh, one seven, uh, chapter 117 says, in him all things hold together. 
119, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 2.3, in whom all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. Uh, 2.5, our faith is in Christ. 2.6, we walk in him. We're rooted in him. We are built up in him. 2.11, we'll get this in, into this next week. We are baptized into him. Uh, 12, we are raised up into him. Uh, 2.15, we triumph in him. I mean, it just goes on and on and on about how we are in Christ. So Paul very helpfully is wanting to pound into our, our, our thinking and our understanding of how we live our lives, not just how we view, you know, this is Christianity, but this is like, this is who you are, your, your very identity. All of who you are is rooted in Christ. It's all there. So it, it's not something external. It's not something that you, but it's something that is in you and is the work of Christ in us completely built on him and nothing else, just like the song sells. You know, he is our cornerstone. You know, he's, he's the one that we're built upon. He's, he's the rock. Uh, he, he's it. That's it. And so Paul says, and to go outside of him, and this is really huge about how we understand what does it mean to live out our Christian walk, because what he's going to say is to go outside of him, to go outside of Christ, to kind of find our identity leads to misery, and we get lost, and we get confused, and, we, and just all kinds of bad things happen. And so he's not saying, so oftentimes, not just in Colossians, but if you read whether it's Ephesians or Galatians or any other parts of the New Testament, they're, they're going to say, hey, look, you know, when you, when you do things like this and don't do this and do this and don't do this and do this, they're not saying these are the rules, but what he's saying is that that it doesn't line up with who you are. You, your, 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 your identity is in Christ. And the reason why you're doing this behavior that is because you forgot who you are. You forgot that your identity, and you're trying to uh, get a hold of an identity that's outside of Christ, and he is wanting to warn us strongly. And so even in this language um, that Paul writes in here is that he uses this, this phrase. He says, it says, see to it that no one takes you captive. So he, this, this phrase here, see to it, is this word that means look carefully or, or to watch out. So this is a warning. And it says, let no one take you captive. And I think we need to kind of understand the language here because the, the language here that Paul's using is like this military, like, like someone takes you captive as like a POW. Like you become a prisoner of war. That you become, um, you know, as plunder and spoil. And it's just like, you know, you become the slave of this invading army. And so when Paul says, hey, look, you got to be careful about um, what, where your heart is and, and, and where you, what you're rooted into, see to it that no one takes you captive, that no one takes you as plunder. So this isn't us like when we, we entertain these different philosophical ideas. He's saying, look, if it's not in Christ, if, it is, if it's not according to Christ, if it's according to some human tradition, this is scary stuff. Like you need to be careful that you don't get taken away captive. And this is a massive deal. He says, so no one takes you captive by philosophy. Now that word philosophy, he's not, back then the word philosophy is just really a word that means any system of thought. Uh, it, it was used a lot more generally back then than it is today. So Paul is not uh, actually um, knocking philosophy as a whole. In fact, that word philosophy just means love for wisdom. And so it, it's, 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 he's not saying all of philosophy, but he, 
he's adding to it takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit that is according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world. And here's the big one, not according to Christ. And so he's saying, look, there, there is, we do have an enemy here. We have someone who's lying to us that's trying to weave into our thinking things that are not of Christ, but they're made up of human tradition. And what was happening in this church in Colossae was that they were buying into things that weren't a part of Christ, that sounded good, that sounded like, hey, this might be a good thing to hold on to, but had nothing to do with Jesus. So today it may be things like, people may say things like, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're a good person. I mean, I don't know how many funerals I've been to where people have said things like, they've come up to me and said things like, hey, do you think so-and-so is in heaven? And as I'm thinking about what I can say, someone else comes up and says, of course they are. They were a good person. That is something that is according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and is not according to Christ. That's not what Jesus' message was. Jesus' message wasn't that, look, I, I, I need you all to be good people. You're not being good, and I need you to be good. This wasn't his message at all. His message was, you need a savior, and, and here I am. The kingdom has come. You need to be a part of me. You need to be born again. You need, you need to, to die to your old life. You need to be ri risen again in me. You need, to, you need to be rooted in me. You need to be built up in me, Jesus says. That's a philosophy. That's empty deceit. It, it's something that actually gets woven into not just society as a whole, but it gets woven into the church and, and people get taken captive by that. I see people, they don't get taken captive by, you know, like, you know, it's not like the, you know, the devil shows up with horns and a pitchfork and says, hey, come follow me. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll do that. No, he comes and he weaves in empty deceit and philosophy and it takes people captive. It takes them away from Jesus. It happens all the time. Maybe some of you are struggling with that. Or, man, or, or the American dream. God wants me to be, you know, we need to pursue the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of health and wealth and gets woven. Oh yeah, that sounds good. I mean, God, you know, God wants me to be healthy and happy and I mean, of course he does. Why wouldn't he do that? It's empty deceit. It's, it's not according to Christ. So here's a question. I mean, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When you're, when you're th whatever your framework is for, for thinking about what it means to be a, a Christian or how you live out your Christian life, a, an amazing question you need to ask is, and you can put it like in two categories, is this according to human tradition or is this according to Christ? Where do you get that idea from? Where do you get, where in red letters does Jesus say, I want you to be healthy, wealthy, and happy for all the days of your life? Where does he say, where does he say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're a good person? Where does he say that? And brothers and sisters, we have to be very um, astute and sharp and on guard and receive the warning that Paul wants to get us lest we be taken captive. Lest we be 
you know, carried off as plunder in war. The enemy doesn't come through the front door. He comes through the back door. And this is a section where Paul is wanting to warn us. And so my hope in this is, is for us to feel the warning, to, the, the, to feel to like, well, maybe I shouldn't just take everything in. We'll get into this in a couple of weeks, but Paul says in Colossians 3, 1, that we have to set our minds. We have, to set, we have to set our minds not on things of this earth, but things above. We actually have to like calibrate our minds. We have to get them synced up with heaven and not of earth. It's something that we have to intentionally do. It's part of the warning as well. And so if this thing kind of weaves into us, into our thinking, this kind of, you know, American dream thinking, we can think, man, Jesus is great, but he's only great as long as you are healthy, reasonably wealthy, and reasonably happy. But as soon as that crosses, then it's like, well, wait a minute, where's Jesus? Maybe God doesn't exist. Maybe God isn't who he says he is. No, 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 you've, gotten, you've been taken captive by an, an empty philosophy. God's always been the same. Same yesterday, today, and forever. He's, he's consistent. He's very consistent, remarkably consistent. But that gets woven into our thoughts, and then something bad happens to us. Whew, and then it's like, whoa, what, you know, what's happening to my world? What, what, what it is is you begin to build an identity that wasn't actually rooted in Christ and who he was, but you've been in some ways swayed and taken captive by what the Bible says is an empty deceit. So Paul counters that by saying, look, everything that we, you could ever want, need, or desire is ultimately found in Christ. He says, like, everything is in him. Everything, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus, and we are in Jesus. He says that in 119, and he says it in this, that everything is in him, which is why Paul was able to say earlier in chapter one that we have every spiritual blessing. Uh, Peter is able to say this in his second letter, that we have everything that we need for, for life and for godliness. That we have everything that we need for life and for godliness because in Christ, the fullness of all that God is pleased to dwell in Christ and we are in Christ. So we have the same fullness. Now it doesn't mean that we're God, but it means that we have access to all that. So uh, uh, John Calvin writes it this way. He says, ye are made full, does not mean that the perfection of Christ is transfused into us, but uh, that there are in him resources from which we may be filled that nothing be wanting in us. I know that, that nothing be wanting in us. Charles Wesley says it this way, thou, O Christ, art all I want, more than all in thee I find. So God has, God has given us this fullness. He's given us this access to everything that we could ever possibly want or desire. Now our response to that is that we need to pursue him. Some people hear things like, you know, you have everything that you need for life and godliness and we, you know, we're all, we're complete and we're full, which is true that we, that, that everything that we want, uh, everything that we could possibly want or need is, is found in Christ and we have access to these resources, but the response therefore is, is not to do nothing. It's not to sit, but it's, it's, it's to pursue him. I'll say it this way. It's like, you know, imagine like you had a refrigerator full or more than refrigerator, let's say you had a, uh, you know, a kitchen full of 
every possible food choice in infinite supply just right there in your kitchen. And so one of the things that Paul's wanting to say is like, look, you don't need to go anywhere to get something to eat. You, you, it, it's all there. Like any kind of food that you, you could possibly need is, is right in your kitchen. There, there, you don't need to go outside of it because it's, it's all right there. Now, the other mistake would be is to sit there on the couch and starve. It's like you got to access it. You got to pursue it. You got to go and get it. So Paul, so Paul is going to say to us that you, that we have the fullness, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in, in Christ and we are in Christ. And so we are, we're full in him. We're, we're, we're satisfied in him. But then he's going to say things like he does in Ephesians 3, that his prayer was that we may be filled. So on one hand, he says, you're full. And then on the other hand, he's praying that we may be filled. It's like, well, which one is it? Is it, is, are you full or, you know, are we still meant to be full? And, he's, and what, he, what he's saying is like, no, look, like, it's just like you're, you're, you've got a kitchen full of food. You, you've got fullness. You have everything that you need. And, and his prayer is that we may be filled is his prayer was actually that we would pursue Jesus, that we would, we would access that. That we would, so there's, there's purpose, the purpose that we, that we want to, uh, that we all know, we all want to live, we all want to have purpose for our life. It's all in him. The blessings that we need, it's, it's all in him. The fulfillment that we need is all in him. The love that we need is all in him. The validation that we need is all in him. The hope, the identity, it's all in him. All these things that our heart longs for that we think that we're gonna get out of something else, that we're gonna think that we're gonna get out of a house, that we think that we're gonna get out of a job, that we think we're gonna get out of a relationship, that we think we're gonna get out of a family, that we're gonna get out of sons and daughters and, and spouses and all of that. The things that we think that, that that's where my identity lies. The thing that he's saying, look, it's all in him. It's all in Jesus. And the reason why you're not feeling like it's all in him and that you need to go out him is because you're not really accessing that. You're not really pursuing him. So he's praying, you know, by the Holy Spirit that we may be filled, that we would be, that we'd run after him. And even Jesus addresses this in Luke 11. So in Luke 11, um, you don't need to turn there, but in Luke 11, um, Jesus is, he's talking about the Lord's prayer and saying, hey, you know, you, you need to, you know, in prayer, you, you know, you can, you can ask and he'll give it to you. You can seek and you'll find, and he begins to tell, give all these analogies saying, look, you know, I want you to, this several about, hey, you know, go for it. You know, ask and he'll give it to you. He's not going to turn you away. You know, you, you show up at midnight, knock on his door and say, hey, can I have something? He's not going to say, forget, you know, I'm, I'm too tired. He's going to let you in. He's going to let you in. He's going to give you what you need. And then it crescendos. And he says that, you know, what father among you, if his sons ask for a fish, will instead give you, uh, well, instead of a fish, give you a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give you a scorpion? Or if you, if you then who are evil know how to good, give, good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit for those who ask him? And this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying the best possible thing that you could ever ask for is the Holy Spirit. He's in this fr- phrase where he's saying, look, this is how you... This is how you receive, this is how you incorporate all that Jesus uh, is into your life is that you pursue the Holy Spirit. He's in this phrase where he's saying, look, you can ask for anything and he'll give it to you. You can ask him for the moon, he'll give you that. He can ask you for the stars, he'll give you that. You can even ask at the top for the Holy Spirit. You can even ask for that and he'll give it to you. You know, we're just like kids that don't even 
know what to ask for, when to ask for, and when to ask for it. But Jesus is saying here, look, I'm wanting to give to you. I'm all these things that I have received from the Father, all these things that are in me, all these things I want to give them to you. You just need to ask for it, especially at the top of the list, the Holy Spirit. So where are you today? Where's your identity? Is your identity in him? What, what, what drives your decisions? What, why do you live where you live? Why do you work the way you work? Why do you dress the way you dress? What drives your agenda? If you want to do heart surgery, I'd, I'd encourage you to like really spend some time. Get out a pen and paper. Just begin to really meditate and just sit with Jesus and ask him these questions. Say, and ask yourself these questions. Where it, what, what is driving what I'm doing, what I'm doing? Maybe, maybe, maybe just maybe that, that there's this empty philosophy that has invaded your life and you're not even aware of it. But it's actually driving every decision that you're making every day. The big ones and the small ones, so to speak. Where's your identity? And are you leaning back? Are you pursuing Jesus? So you've got a, f- a kitchen full of food, or, but are you sitting on your couch starving? Are you pursuing him? Are you going after him? Are you asking for more of the Holy Spirit? It'll help you engage with God. Here's what I want to do. I, want to, I just want to talk a little bit about the trip that I had, and I'm actually going to weave it back into some of the things I said this morning. So um, I want to, I'll show you here a few slides. Uh, so what I, what I did is, well, there's a, there's a picture of Tom. The first thing I did, this is uh, about eight, nine uh, days ago. I went to Canterbury, and some of you might remember, how you guys remember Tom Shaw? He was here to mobilize, whatever, um, a couple years ago. That's him and his wife. And so I went to Canterbury just to, uh, the first weekend I was there, just to, just to speak to that church. And uh, they're a church very similar to ours. I mean, demographically, size-wise, all that. And it was just, it was like, a, it was um, just like being at home. It was a really good time. Now, uh, just to say, though, because they're a part of our, our family of churches called New Frontiers, and, and we really do want to be brothers and sisters. And, and, I, and I do want to encourage you to, to be praying for them. It was kind of an odd thing. When I was there, um, I uh, f- landed in London probably like six or seven in the morning. And then w- as I um, was driving back, they found out that this 22-year-old girl, uh, one of their worship leaders who just got married six months before, had actually collapsed and died. And um, so, they, so actually a lot of what I was meant to do there and be there for, kind of, as you can imagine, got sidelined and it was really kind of a sovereign moment because I, mean, I feel like I was able to, to be helpful. And actually, I mean, I spoke to the church on Sunday and, you know, of course, Tom was just in pieces. Uh, you, know, he's, you know, it was a really hard time for him and, and of course, the church and, and, then, and then, of course, his new fiancé, uh, or excuse me, not fiancé, uh, spouse, husband, the husband of um, having to deal with this you know, the love of his life um, passing away. And um, so I just want to encourage you to be, to be praying for them. We got to this next slide if we can. Here's, a, here's an email address and there, there's our Facebook. I just want to encourage you to be, uh, 
just praying for them. And if you feel to like send something encouraging, you can email it to their office there, or you, maybe you can post it um, uh, on there on Facebook. But it would just encourage them to know that you're praying for them. Uh, and so if you if you feel to do that, I I want to strongly encourage it. We're we're a family together. Uh, they're 5,000 miles away, but uh, we're family and we're together. So I just want to encourage you to be praying for that church. It's a very difficult, as you can, they're young like we are. And so, I mean, just never had a death. And so this was just a huge, huge um, um, a blow to them. So um, to be praying uh, for them. Uh, from there, I, I traveled to Istanbul. And I'm going to show you this picture. This is Asia Minor. This is in Paul's day. And if you can look at the, um, you see the Black Sea, and if you go down, you can see almost like two peninsulas joining together. Right in there is Istanbul, and this is where east uh, meets west, and I'll talk about that a little bit. But down there, kind of where it says Lydia, that region, and then Galatia, that sounds familiar, as in Galatians. Uh, but around in um, that, where it says Lydia, there's, that's where Ephesus was, and basically 90 miles to the right, is where Colossians was, which, which is the uh, church, the letter to the church that we are uh, studying right now. And we talked about this in the early part, but where, I mean, I'm in this country, Turkey, so which is where all this stuff uh, happened, where you know the church in Ephesus, they were just a, 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 a center church, a base church, where all these churches got planted and really, you know, us thinking of ourselves that way, hey man, we don't just be a, just a church, but we want to be the kind of church where that can be a base that can send people and, and plant other churches. So we've got a vision for more locations and more churches. But uh, this is Turkey today. Uh, it's, um, what's the, the next slide? I'm sure the next slide here. This is Ignatius Way, which is a big Roman road that went all the way from goes all the way from like Rome through Turkey. It's just this pop, it's just a massive uh, thing. What's the next slide we got here? Um, this is actually the river, or it's not a river, it's just a, uh, a body of water that on the, on the front side is Asia and on the other side is Europe. It's the only city that actually consists of two different, is on two different continents. And it's, it's where east meets west, which is a really cool thing that I'll, I'll get back. Uh, to that in a minute. Um, what we got next here? I had some authentic Turkish food, Popeye's chicken and Burger King. Just, it's great to experience other cultures. Um, what else we got here? Um, so the city here, it's it's amazing city. Um, just like how St. Louis has a an old cathedral and a new cathedral. You know, there's lots of Catholic churches and churches, but they have an old, we have an old cathedral and a new cathedral. They have something called an old mosque that was built in 400 AD. And then they have, which I thought was funny, uh, the new mosque, which was built in 500 AD. And it's like, they really didn't think through that one, did they? And so, um, but Istanbul is almost twice as big as New York. Uh, there are 14 million Amazing, they're just amazing people. Uh, yet there is just about 600 Christians in the entire city. It's like if you were to think about, so basically the size of Jubilee, that's it. So it's like we're the only church in Istanbul. Um, I mean, we wouldn't even have to have a name. We could just be the church. We could just, I mean, that's it. It's just all that 
uh, it, would, it would be. And we have a friend of mine, Andy McCullough. That's him and his wife. They're actually from uh, England, and they went out to Istanbul to plant this church. I think we have a picture of the church there. Uh, and they've got a great little, it's about 80 people, which is like mega church. Because uh, most churches in Turkey, all of Turkey, there are about 4,000 Christians among 75 million people. And um, the largest church is a church in Izmir, which is a New Frontiers church. That's 200, but most churches uh, are about 15 or so. And um, we actually have a life change team um, coming up October 24th through November 6th. For those who just feel like they may have a cross-cultural call uh, to the Middle East or uh, maybe even to Turkey specifically, uh, we're going to be doing a life change team over there, which basically means you go over there for a week or two. And there's more information that, um, that you can check out on uh, the New Frontiers website, or I'm going to post something on the city as well. Uh, but if you're interested in that, just say, hey, I think I might be interested in that. It'll be a couple thousand dollars in terms of cost. But if you're interested in that, just write on your card like, hey, I'd love to talk to an elder about this and be so amazing uh, for you to be able to go and, and, uh, and see and, and, and see maybe God might be calling you to uh, that part of the world. Um, we've got churches all over the world. It's just an amazing, th- I mean, just not even Turkey. I mean, just you name it, we probably have a, a, some kind of a group in that country. And for that matter, if you feel a, part, a call to another part of the world, uh, let me know. I'm, I'm sure we have a, a friend there that we can uh, connect you with. Uh, so the reason why I was in Istanbul was it was a part of called Global Equip 2014. It was a gathering of uh, 17 uh, apostolic leaders and another 90 emerging uh, leaders that represented about 200. That represents about 250,000 people in a thousand plus churches in 50, 60 different uh, nations. And, and this is the family of churches we're part of New Frontiers, and it's absolutely. Uh, awesome. You know, Acts 1.8 says that, you know, Jesus, before he left, he says, okay, now I want you to take this message of the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the earth. Jerusalem, your, your neighborhoods, and Judea, your, you know, your region. Uh, Samaria, you know, the unreached people groups, and then the ends of the earth. And, and um, we're pretty serious about that. And it was just so cool just praying with people from all different kinds of nations, Albania, pa- Pakistan, Bulgaria, Russia, Ukraine, you know, England, France, Germany, Japan, India, Indonesia. I mean, just all over the, all over the map. And it was, it was a cool deal. And I think we got a couple, this is a guy named Eddie Leo of Indonesia. And he's just, he's an awesome dude that's just in a primarily Muslim area, just planted, just, and, and seen just amazing things happen. Amazing things happen. I mean, people being raised from the dead and and massive revival breaking out, and we were with him. This is PJ, you might remember him. He's from South Africa. Uh, Edward Bria uh, from Kenya, just an amazing man. Um, uh, it's the next line. It's an apostolic selfie. And uh, <laughs> what else we got? Remember Simon Brading, you guys might remember him. Another selfie. And this next one. Uh, so this is a guy, a few weeks ago I sent out a message about this, uh, about our churches in the Ukraine, about just all the pressure that they're under, and it was quite a miracle, but this guy was able to kind of get out and, and be amongst us, but the situation is still tense, so please be praying for, for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. Um, next slide. 
These are uh, some brothers from Ethiopia. Uh, now, the interesting thing about this, and I, I hope you can understand that, you know, being friends with these guys and my heart in this, but I uh, was sitting with them and actually a guy from Zambia. And uh, I noticed that they didn't, finish, they didn't eat everything on their plate. And I'm like, oh, you know, you guys are done, you're full. And he's like, well, no, but actually we never, we never finish our food. We never finish all the food on our plate. I'm like, really, why not? He's like, well, it's, it's a way of showing, you know, respect to your, your host because you're, you're saying you've satisfied me. In fact, you, you've more than satisfied me. Look, there's food left on my plate. I'm like, well, that's ironic because I was always raised to clean my plate because there are starving people in Africa. And then here you guys are, you're not even finishing your plate. And uh, he's like, well, go tell your mom she's wrong. And I said, so... Um, So it's kind of a fun little interplay there, but in, I mean, in all reality, though, I mean, there are, there are definitely starving people in Africa. I mean, most people in this country, Zambia, uh, 70% of the country lives on less than a dollar a day. And, you know, as a part, um, Jubilee, we give 10% of our plus of our, uh, of our income to, to our family of churches, New Frontiers, and a part of that goes to famine relief and crisis relief. And, and so you giving, you know, what you give here at Jubilee Church actually goes to contribute to, to some of these, um, these um, nations. But what I want to say here is that, um, and this is where I kind of want to weave it back into to the message, is that really there is a strong theme of, about East meeting West. And really it has more to do with not the West inputting the East, but really the East inputting the West, and, and just to hear these brothers talk about the, the fruit that they are experiencing and the outbreak and even things like that we can't even imagine uh, really about, like even people being raised from the dead. And I, I'm sure there's at least some of us here today when you heard me say that, you're thinking in the back of your head, yeah, yeah, right. And so it's just so foreign to our thinking that this is even possible, but we know that it's possible as we um, look in, in scripture. Um, and so, but not just the fruit, but just the amazing uh, amount of, of persecution that these guys are experiencing. I mean, just hearing about, you know, limbs being cut off in the name of Jesus because they would not deny the name of Jesus. Being burnt alive, being sold into slavery. I mean, these are people that, um, that it's happening right now. I mean, they're experiencing amazing fruit but also this amazing uh, persecution. And I just begin to think about how that can weave into how it can maybe help us kind of figure out our identity. Because I, I was sitting next to these guys at a table. They were primarily from you know, Balkan nations. I said, I gotta be honest with you. I said, in America, persecution is having to circle around the parking lot to find a space. I mean, that's persecution that we experience. Um, and I just, you know, it's just difficult to relate. And not whether or not a jihad, 5,000 jihad warriors are going to surround us while we're taking communion. I mean, that's just not in our, that's just not in, in our thinking. And I don't say that to um, make us feel guilty about, you know, God's sovereign. He, des he decided that we live here. And, and there's issues that everyone faces from all over the world. And, you know, I'm in there. I mean, even like, I've just... And even after hearing this all week, I, I just was, I was on the plane on the way back here and one of the legs on the plane, I was just like, my seat won't recline. And you know, I was just like, what in the world? And just like, so it just, it, I just reminded how deep that is in our thinking. It's just like, 
I won't, I won't have it. I won't, I won't be inconvenienced. I won't be, and I just begin to think about like even my own life, how this empty deceit and philosophy that has nothing to do with Christ is just woven into my life. And I just, you know, I want to get out. I want to get, get away from that and get out of that. And um, so we're all in a context, but my prayer is that we would not fall prey to the philosophy and empty deceit that is in our culture. And, and it is just as um, idolatrous and um, I'll say wicked as, you know, getting out a golden calf or a piece of wood and worshiping it. It, it has nothing to do with Christ. And um, I, I, I know for my own life, I just like, I was just praying. I mean, just even as I was thinking about, man, I wish this seat would recline. I was just praying, God, would you help me with this? And I was praying for us. It's like, God, protect us from empty deceit and philosophy that would take us captive, that would haul us off like plunder and spoil in, in a war because we are in a war. I mean, I know that it's comfortable. I know that we'll dismiss and we'll get some coffee and relax and watch some TV and it feels serene, but the message of, of the Bible is that we, there is a war. It's not flesh and blood that there's a war happening. And we have to be alert. We have to be on guard that we're not taken captive by this. So don't buy into the American dream. Don't buy into things that just sound nice, like, hey, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you know, you're a good person and you mean well. It's just not according to Christ. It's just not there. So once I just want to end just saying, I just, are, what are you giving your life to? What, what is it that you're giving your life to? Are you giving your life to, to live out your identity as being in him, which means that you're a witness, which means that you get engaged in what is known as this great commission that Jesus gave to us to go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, ends the earth. Whether it's that you're, you just plug away in your neighborhood and, and, and um, serve Jesus how you know to serve Jesus and to make much of him as you know how to make much of him. And to die to yourself. You see, that was the message. Jesus said two things. He said, hey, come and see. I want you to come and see what I'm like. I want you to come and see that I'm good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And the second part of that, that you get after he says, come and see. He says, now go and die. Come see. Come experience me. Come see that I'm real. He wants you to see that he's real. Then he's like, okay, go and die. Come be like me. You, you can be a seed you know, if you, if you don't, if, if you stay a seed, you, you know, you're going to have your life and that'll be it. But if you're like the seed that's willing to die and go into the ground, you're going to bear fruit of 60, 100 fold. Just want to just end today. Just say, hey, what are you, what are you living for? What are you giving yourself for? God has all that your heart wants and desires is in him. He has so much to show you and give you if you're willing to follow him and go after him and receive what he has already provided for you. We don't have to go outside of him. It's all there for us. Why don't you get out your communication?